and that right. is now live and running. Okay. So we're live to Facebook. Yep. Hello, everyone. Whoa, this is beautiful. Okay, okay, we are live on Facebook. We're live on Facebook. Yep. Okay, do you want to kick off proceedings, Ethan? <laughs> uh, first of all, thank you, everybody, for coming. Um, I'd just like to let you all know, uh, those of you who are in the Zoom room, uh, you are not visible to our global audience. I have made sure of that. Um, but thank you very much for joining us. This is the first of um, what we hope will be an ongoing series of conversations uh, run by the company, uh, mostly revolving around topics of uh, well-being, mental health, uh, how we're going to uh, navigate ourselves uh, in this world. And it's just going to be a series of conversations with uh, very, very interesting people. Paul is uh, one of them. And uh, a little bit of history between me and Paul is that uh, he was actually my life coach and he has now become one of my best friends. Um, and I'm proud and honored to have you here and having a conversation. Uh, Absolute honor to, uh, to reciprocate, man, and to, um, to be doing this together. So, yes. Yes. <laughs> ah, this is, oh, I have to move our respective heads uh, the other way. And shift that, okay? Because on the face on the on the Facebook live stream, it says that I'm Paul and you're Ethan. <laughs> well, we're, we're one and the same. We're all connected, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are, bro. Technology, technology. Uh, so Paul is wonderful. He runs. Um, he's the managing director of this uh, amazing organization called the Open Mind Institute, um, and they do performance coaching. Um, and that was where I got to meet him. Uh. And uh, so they also have a series of programs uh, that if you want to talk about them, Paul. Oh, okay. Uh, happy to do that. So, yeah, the Open Mind Institute is fairly new. We've only been around for about four years. But um, prior to that, there's been a long journey in, in starting uh, the Open Mind Institute. So the main thrust of, of what we've always done primarily anyway, has been the live training events around mindset, performance, mental well-being. And indeed, that's where I get my real kick, my, my buzz is, you know, standing in front of an audience and just planting a seed and feeling that energy in a room, um, you know, change. But, uh, you know, come COVID and this global pandemic that we're all in, all of our events got rescheduled. So, we pivoted to, uh, we've always had a coaching business and that's how I met Ethan and some of the other people in the room. Uh, so, you know, mindset and performance coaching. So and we pivoted to, to uh, we've always... I'm getting a bit of a feedback there, Ethan. Yeah, sorry. That's all right. And some of the, the programs that we run, they vary uh, from mindfulness-based programs. Uh, we have an open mind meditation program. Um, we have a mind fitness accelerator which is a team building program so there's a lot of programs but the underlying principle is all around uh the fact that you know we as human beings have been conditioned programmed to think to act in a certain way and what the open mind institute is all about i guess is helping people to remove the blinkers open their minds and work toward becoming their higher authentic selves, whatever that might look like for them.
So out of curiosity, how many how many people do we have um, from Facebook? I know we've got people from all across um, Asia Pacific region, don't we? Is that correct? We got Japan, mm. Singapore. I, I, I don't know how to check that. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. I'm just sort of like looking at it. Um, I'm so new to all of this stuff, <laughs> so like I'm just trying to work it out as we go along. Um, yeah. Uh, I run uh, an international arts organization called Five to Midnight, and um, essentially what we do is uh, we run programs and services uh, for artists um, and for communities. So for individual artists, uh, at the recommendation of Paul, I started my own artist coaching service um, running out of the company. And it's very much about you know, life coaching that is specifically tailored for uh, anyone in the creative field. Our, our minds and consciousnesses work, you know, all, everyone has their own sort of individual crazy way. Um, and so it's very much about how to use that to inspire a little bit more creativity in life. Um, while at the same time juggling a good sense of uh, mental well-being and balance. On top of that, the company also does uh, residency programs where we would go out uh, as you know an international sort of cohort from about two or three different countries. Um, and we go to a community, we go to a space, um, and through running activities there and providing workshops, artist talks, uh, film screenings, that kind of stuff, build a community around art uh, and then see how we can actually make uh, the arts a very valuable part of people's everyday lives. And so that's what we've been doing for the past four years. <laughs> Fantastic. And um, the idea around convergence, just let people know a little bit more about that. Yeah. So the convergence is kind of this idea that, um, I mean, we live in uh, in you know, a very, very developed capitalistic society. And uh, with the introduction of COVID, a lot of those infrastructures have been taken taken down or re-examined and re-evaluated um, in many different ways, whether it's politically or it's financially or, or um, esoterically. They've all been sort of starting to, we're starting to look at holes in those systems. Um, and so the thing that I've found is that from this, a lot of people who are, um, you know, doing really, really interesting uh, or have really interesting intentions um, yeah. and really progressive intentions now finally have the time to, you know, sit down and, and buckle down and get those things working. And I'm amazed that like the, the kind of stuff that's been coming out. Uh, so I, the convergence is really kind of the, the, a platform to talk to these people, to reach out to them um, and say like, hey, would you like to share more about this thing that you've always wanted to do and only now had the time to really make that happen? Yeah. Um, and then hopefully rally enough support around that, that it doesn't just become an, an, an idea that was tried out for a while and then fades away into the ether. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe that will be the case. I think it's a great initiative. So let's let the viewers know what we'll be talking about today because we had some... Uh, questions come in, yeah. haven't we? Uh, yeah, so our first question um, actually is, <laughs> yeah, just no, <laughs> no lag. Uh, it actually comes in from uh, an anonymous uh, asker. Uh, we put out a Google form asking for these questions and we picked them. 
um, to answer. And he asks, uh, how do people with poor mental health seek help in the cycle of balancing work and family with the lack of time or energy to seek help? Mm. So how do people with poor mental health in the first place seek help when mm. they're in this cycle of they're balancing work, work and family, family um, lacking in energy, right? Yeah. Um, how do they go about seeking help? Well, it's, I believe it's a matter of um, how long can you stand the pain associated with staying in that, in that space, right? Because unfortunately, I think it's a, it's a human trait or attribute that we don't make the changes that we need to until the, the pain threshold is, you know, becomes unbearable. And you think about this from a from a health perspective, you know, perhaps if someone's a bit elderly and their their health is wavering, it's not until the doctor says, "Hey, you got to do something to change your life, otherwise your life might be in jeopardy." Mm. So, to this anonymous person, I would say, um, you know, how long are you prepared to stay in this revolving door? Because help is always available and. Uh, Ethan and I both understand, I'm sure many people listening to this have have endured periods where, you know, you are extremely fatigued, you might be in a job that you don't like, you might have family pressures, you might have life throwing you a curveball, and it just feels as though, um, you know, you're treading water. But it doesn't have to be um, that feeling that compounds and compounds and compounds, because help is... Um, is always there. You know, you've got friends, you've got loved ones. I, I, I don't know for some of the um, the Asian um, countries in terms of the, the non-for-profit organisations that you guys have available, but in Australia, we have an organisation called um, Beyond Blue uh, Lifeline. So you can speak to someone anonymously. Mm. Yeah, you can just make a call and you have registered psychologists on the other end. And it's as simple as just reaching out and just starting um, that that set piece, you know, mm. um, but that aside, I think you can also um, take measures to make little baby steps to improve your mental well-being. So if you're in a routine and it's causing you stress and anxiety day after day, you need to break up that routine. You need to break up that monotony that life has, um, has provided you. So that's as simple as something like, doing something different out of your routine, going for a walk, getting back to nature, um, trying some well-being techniques like mindfulness and meditation. But in terms of getting help, um, that's the answer that comes to my mind. Reach out, speak to a loved one. And what you'll find is once you start uh, getting that ball rolling, people are actually there that support you, that love you. And one thing will lead to another. That, that help, that first step that you take, will turn into a domino effect. Mm. What about you, Ethan? Any advice on that front? Um, I think there are a couple of definitions of help. Uh, so it, in, it, kind of, it kind of depends on what your, where, where you want to approach this. I think on one hand, seeking professional uh, ther uh, therapy, seeking professional mental, uh, mental health uh, aid is absolutely necessary. Um, if you feel that you need it. I think it's safer to, to be on 
it's, it's better to be on the safer end where you kind of say like, mm, I think I might need to have professional help than to uh, try putting it off. So yeah. I would I would bring that up first. Um, there is a wonderful platform that helped me. It was called uh, betterhelp.com. Uh, and they're essentially a therapy service uh, yeah. where they where they pair you up uh, with a counselor uh, yeah. and you have full access uh, in terms of like messaging support, voice support. You can record videos and send pictures. There's a journal right. there for you. Um, what was that called again? Betterhelp.com. Yeah. Okay. And um, and you would have like weekly sessions that you would organize with your with your counselor, um, to be able to speak with them, and that helped me a lot, like yeah. when I was going through a tough time. So that's on the sort of professional end of things. Yes. Now I think the key here, is sort of, in terms of the cycle of balancing work and family, with the lack of time or energy to seek help. Uh, so this is where all of that all of the conditioning sort of starts to work itself in, right? Because when we talk about balancing work and family, we have to understand that we all have a certain kind of like energy capacity, That's right. well, like a battery. So what has been, um, I think, vital, but missing in our education uh, is the ability, is the technical ability to manage our energy. The technical ability to manage our energy. Yeah, we're taught we're taught a lot of things, right? As we go through school, um, yeah. but I think pri like primarily in Asian education, um, we have not really been taught the skill of how to manage our um, mental, physical, and uh, energetic faculties. Hmm. Um, so when you couple that with like our very modern society sense of you know, oh you know just go one more, like oh it's fine, go to the gym, like you know, bust your ass for another half hour, it's fine. Um, we're obsessed with the sense that like, if I put in more effort, I will get more out of it, you know? Mm. And so we start to, we start to become conditioned out of self-care. So I would advise like our, our uh, friend here will ask this question. Um, take some time for yourself, uh, get a notebook, get a pen, right? And sit down. I want you to create a list of all of the things that absorb your energy. And when I say absorb your energy, I don't mean like, I don't mean that in a negative way. I don't mean that in a positive way either. Um, I mean that in a really sort of like, with a bit of distance going, what are the things that I know I'm going to have to spend energy on? If you are going to have to um, uh, talk to a friend who requires uh, some sort of uh, aid, right? If you want to uh, spend time with your kids um, that you love very much and you want to go bring them out for, for uh, you know, a fun time at the park, for example. And if that is going to require energy, write it down. Mm -hmm. And so what you start to do is you start to have a conscious awareness of what are the things that you're going to have to prepare an amount of energy for, right? Yes. Yeah. So you don't overstretch yourself. And then I, on that same sheet of paper, I want you to write down another list of the things that generate energy for you. And again, this is not, this is not an overtly positive uh, thing or negative thing. It doesn't really exist in that, in that binary. But like, if say, for example, going for a run, um, going for a run might take away a physical 
energy, right? You might feel, you know, a little bit tired and a little bit like so. You, but, but in terms of your, your, your mental energy, right? Your spiritual sort of push, it gives you a lift, right? So that is something that really gains energy um, and generates energy for you. Um, talking to someone that you love uh, might do that for you. So you start to have an understanding of what are the things that you really um, can uh, indulge in, engage in, that helps you to balance out like what Very these things are. Yeah. yeah. I love it. So it's like an energy list. Mm. Yeah. It's an energy mm. list. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how do you, because you're a dad, aren't you? Yes. I'm not, right? You're a dad, three kids. How do you balance work and family? You make sure you, I think it, it definitely revolves around your not knowing your biorhythms when you have most energy, you know, it's knowing your, your biological patterns, so to speak. So for instance, in the morning, um, you know, everyone has different different bio uh, patterns and, and rhythms. So you'll note that you'll have a bit of energy in the morning. Um, and this also rotates around uh, food, right? When we're giving energy, supplying energy, um, consuming energy. But what I've noticed and how I balance it is when I'm feeling most energetic, that's the period that I allocate my um, high energy tasks to, mm. right? So for instance, you know, we had uh, in Australia, we were homeschooling for, for a long period of time, as I'm, I know throughout Asia as well. Yeah. Um, so I would make sure, you know, high high energy activities I would do from mid-morning to lunchtime. Then around about 3 p.m., my energy starts to waver down a little bit. Um, so I think to answer your question, Ethan, it's, it's knowing when I'm feeling energetic and prioritizing the tasks around that set piece. So things that, that don't, draw a lot of energy things you know answering emails or something like that i would do later in the afternoon yeah <laughs> always you have like this hype right if you're hyped then it's just like all right let's compose that email it's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right so you yeah you gotta know yourself know your rhythms yeah because i wake up in the morning and i'm 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 absolutely trashed uh i used to be like absolutely really really trashed um and i know that i i require a bit of a boot up time and I'm not really the kind of person that sort of like gets up and goes like, ah, okay, you know, I need to, I need to have a glass of water. I need to yeah. sit down. And, yeah. you know, I've, and so my meditation in the morning is always just staring out the window. And then I do my meditation. That takes mm -hmm. about an hour. And that's the time that I need to get prepped for the rest of the day. Yes. Yeah. You know, because I think we, I, what I used to do was that I would wake up um, and I would go, Okay, so what do I have to do today? All right, I got to do this. I got to do this. I got and try and psych myself up um, yeah. to get that energy instead of letting it come organically, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, and and healthily. So, it, it you're right. Like what you said earlier about you know breaking that pattern, breaking that cycle, um, in a conscious, healthy way, that you know not just allowed me, but I think allows everybody to have a a, a stronger sense of self awareness. Correct. what you need for the day, yes. how you're going to get it, mm -hmm. right? And then that becomes a habit. And then that indirectly increases your productivity yeah. as you're going on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. correct, correct. 
Yeah. All right. So hopefully we've we've answered um, anonymous question. question. Have we got another one there, Ethan? Yeah, we do. Uh... Wow, this is a long one. Okay, what is your greatest drive in life that guides you to become an artist of success in the field of mental well-being? And what experiences have led up to this understanding you have? What is tantamount to experience in the quest of coaching others on their own mental well-being when you are master only of your own within your own circumstances? That is a long one. <laughs> it's a um, one. Beautiful. Yeah, can you read out the first one for me again, please? Sorry. Yeah, let's break it down. Yeah. Uh, what is your greatest drive in life that guides you to become an artist of success in the field of mental well-being and what experiences have led up to this understanding you have right okay i think my my greatest drive to um become a master of my craft within the well-being space is to assist people with the tools that I know have used me when I, that, that I know have worked for me when I was at the lowest part of my life. And this, this is more or less what acts as my drive. So, and I don't mind sharing. I think there's, there's, um, there's a lot of merit in, in being open and being vulnerable. But uh, when I was in my last year at university, I was studying law and international business. Um, I had a complete mental breakdown. I was in a very, very dark headspace. Um, I was very close to uh, ending it all. Uh, you know, my circumstances were that my father had recently died. Um, my mother was living in another city. Um, I had lost my income in terms of the job I had to help support myself through university. And then you compound that with the pressure of doing a, a double degree in law and international business. It became too much for me. and. This, this is going back, guys, to early 2000s, a, a time, I believe anyway, where it was still very much um, taboo or for a male anyway to admit that he had mental health concerns. Um, I felt as though I couldn't talk to anyone. But I guess looking back, I was really fortunate that uh, prior to studying law, I did study behavioral science. I already had this, this curiosity about the human mind. So... I was able to come out of through, out of that dark period through researching um, about you know evidence-based tools that people can use to to manage stress, to manage anxiety, and looking back, I took the scenic route. Like that was a very long and arduous journey, and there's a part of me who wishes I had reached out for help a lot a lot sooner. Um, but it was through that journey again that I helped myself come out of it. I started helping other colleagues, friends loved ones um and that was more or less the drive the the catalyst behind starting the open mind institute you know to get this knowledge to as many people as possible so that's what drives me to be the the best you know in the in the well-being space anyway that the best of what i do is to pass on the knowledge the knowledge that i know has worked for me to help as many people as i can what about yourself ethan I mean, I mean, I want to, I want to, I want to break this question down a little bit more, um, mm. because an artist of success is really hard to define. I think that 
the the idea of success is predicated on are we able to what what what's what's my definition of it you know um mm. so i wouldn't i wouldn't i wouldn't be so quick to pin it down and to say that i am already an artist of success in the field of mental well-being mm. i think the fact that i am alive every day and incredibly yeah. happy to be so um is a successful day you're right every the, the term day. you're right the term success i think is a subjective one it means things to yes. different things to different people in my mind success is you know it can be just helping one person right yeah. yeah and the the thing that gives me like the greatest drive is that same same as you man i was in a i was in a really really deep shithole um, you know, I felt that I felt really bitter. I felt incredibly angry uh, with having made a choice about my life to be an artist or be a creative. Um, you know, and I was and I was in a headspace where I focused incredibly hard on all of the things um, that could have gone wrong, and I was living in lack essentially. And it got to the point where, like, you know, my relationships were falling apart. Um, you know, financially incredibly unstable. I had no motivation to do anything, and I was about you know twenty seconds away from making a bleach latte, um, and suddenly I sort of just like stopped, um, and it sort of hit me that the to be mentally well, to to be happy, to live in fulfillment. Is a human right. Yeah, I agree. It's a God-given right that you should not be suffering your life, right? And we have, we just don't have, we just don't know how to do that. Um, whether it's societal conditioning or it's trauma or it's where we we either um, have never learned it or forgot how to do it, yeah. right? But it is absolute human right, um, and so it's moved me in a sense of like, I, all I want to do is I just want to know how to be happy every single day. How am I going to be happy today? Um, on an anatomical level, on, you know, a spiritual level, on a romantic level, um, everything is, should be feeding itself towards joy. Mm. But in, in saying that, don't you believe there's an element of inevitability when it comes to suffering? Isn't it part of the human condition that we need to feel pain in order to know pleasure? Well, there's inevitability of pain, but pain is instantaneous and suffering is prolonged and on purpose, right? Mm. We create suffering. We receive pain. We feel pain, but I believe that we create our own suffering. So mm. if... Um, if, for example, uh, okay, a kid walks into a kitchen, right? Touches the stove, it's hot, right? Receives pain. He goes, okay, no, I'm never going to do that again, right? And then, um, you know, the the uh, he run, so run runs to runs to mom and says, you know, hey, this happened, right? And mom says, okay, then don't ever go into the kitchen again, right? Mm -hmm. So, the kid now starts standing at the edge of the door. And every day, like, you know, oh, do you want to come in? No, 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 no. Don't come in. Don't come in. Oh, okay, okay, okay. You know, it, it starts to build in that circuitry of like, I ain't ever going to go, man. I'm never going to go. I'm never going to go. And that's the thing that's happening to all of us all the time on some level. 
um, in some aspect of our life with that kid at the doorway, right? We get hurt in a relationship, right? And then we meet someone, they're amazing, right? Look kind of cool, but we're the ones stopping ourselves going like, uh, mm-hmm. no, no, I don't want that again. Uh, uh, that, uh, you know, and that suffering, the pain is long gone. <laughs> pain was three months ago, six months ago, yeah, 10 years ago, 29 years ago. But every time that we go back and we bring that back again, right? We're creating our own suffering. We're wiring those neural pathways to fire again to stop us from doing the thing that we want to do. Yeah, I agree. That's how I feel. What is what? What about this six? What is the next part of the question? What is tantamount to experience in the quest of coaching others? Well, I believe we've um, the way we started out in talking about our own experiences. I believe that in a way answers that I believe what's what's tantamount to help others is having gone through the turmoil yourself, mm. having um, endured suffering yourself. Um, and I think this is particularly important in relation to the life coaching industry, because there are so many life coaches out there who haven't necessarily suffered or, or had adverse experience from which to help others or, you know, to come from a place of authenticity. Um, So when when I read that, what is tantamount to experience in the quest of coaching others, um, you know, sure you can get qualifications and you can get all the training in the world, but I think unless you've gone through um, the pits and turmoil associated with certain things in life, um, then, you know, it's, it's very difficult to, uh, to help someone. You can have all the technical um, skills in the world, but unless you've got the life experience and unless you've, you know, suffered yourself, um, I believe then you're not going to be, uh, you know, as good as a coach um, as what someone who has, you know, been through those things has, if that makes sense. Mm. I think this is up to the individual, Labro. I think yeah. some, like... There's some, it's really a question of like how some people have managed to overcome that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't want to wish horrible shit on anybody. Uh, and I do feel that there is the element of empathy that needs to fit into this equation. Because we can't, we can't all have gone through the same kinds of trauma, just the same, you know, we can't all lead the same blessed lives. Yeah. But I, I, do, I do feel that um, where human experience is um, infinite, mm-hmm. the way that we interpret those things um, emotionally, mentally, uh, spiritually, they have, uh, they are, we are built with connective tissue among each other. So I might not have gone through the same trauma that someone else might have had, um, mm-hmm. but the thing, the, the emotions that those things uh, created, the conditioning that those things created, um, is the point where I can where I can pull them out and go, hey man, I dealt with this uh, in a similar way. Um, I dealt with this similar thing in this way. Um, maybe you can try that. Uh, and it's so much. It's it's so much so that like if um, our own experience, tap my mic. Our own experience of life is subjective. Uh, yeah everyone else's is as well. Mm-hmm. But 
when we reach out and we share these experiences with each other, we essentially become amalgamations of the communities around us, of the people that we, that we know, that we have around us. Um, and we learn from each other in that way. Yeah. So uh, to, answer, to answer, this is uh, Jasper's question. So, yeah. you know, in the quest of coaching others on their own mental well-being, when you are master only of your own within your own circumstances, I would say that, yes, you are supposed to be a master of your own under your own circumstances so that you can give what little parts that you can give to other people and then they can take what they feel is relevant for them and they can become masters of their own circumstances and pass and pass it on and pay it forward. Yeah, yeah. well said. It's a, it's a fully uh, loaded question there, Jasper, but I, I hope we answered it. Mm. Yeah. This was really, really interesting because I think like we as, as, as coaches is also kind of like, that question of like, who am I to, who am I to coach somebody? Mm. Do you ever get that? I, I think it, it comes with age in terms of, you know, if you've, if you've had a lot of life experience, um, you reach a point where, or I do personally anyway, I don't, I don't really, that doesn't come into my inner narrative, Ethan. Um, if I can offer some insights, some assistance to someone deriving from my knowledge, education, experience, um, I'm happy to do so. But mm. if I'm not equipped, so for instance, you know, I don't have a background in psychiatry, psychology, um, and if I know someone's been diagnosed with a severe mental health concern, it's, it's my um, priority to refer to them as, to someone who's got that experience. Yeah, likewise, like, you know, if someone were to come to me with all the stresses that he's facing in a corporate job, for example, and mm -hmm. that environment is very unknown to me, um, I might be able to offer some advice in terms of like how it might be affecting them and how they manage their stress and that high octane environment. But, yeah. you know, I, I also wouldn't feel completely confident to go, I got all this, bro. Like, I was like, no, please talk to Paul. <laughs> he understands, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, and I think that this is, I think it's, it's an opportunity for us to see each other for the value that we can bring to each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. yeah. Very, very nice question. Right. Have we got one more? Yeah, we do. Just put it up now. Um, it is, how do I deal with the thought of switching careers while my current job is stable and comfortable. Ooh. I just feel like I can do more than one job or something, or uh, more than one job or something more meaningful, which can earn me enough to be living comfortably and not struggle. Mm. Is it possible to maybe learn to be more content and not strive for bigger things? Or do we have to always keep on growing and climbing to higher ground? Oh, good question. Paul, you are a mid-career switcher, man. Go on. <laughs> yeah, so I can uh, speak from experience in relation to this question. I think, you know, switching career is difficult for a lot of people because I think it's part of the human condition that we like to feel safe, we like to feel comfortable. Some people like to feel as if they're wrapped in bubble wrap, right? But... I believe this also goes to what your purpose and passion is because the way the education system is, you know, it funnels you into a career, a profession, and we've had these um, 
these things imposed upon us by our parents, by our society that, you know, there's, there's merit in, in chasing money and in having that prestige. I'm not saying this relates to everyone, um, but my personal circumstances were that, um, you know, I was raised to, I was told, you know, you have to have a good education. You have to go to university. You got to get a profession. And so that's what I did. But inside of me, uh, for instance, I loved acting, right? I, there was a creative side of me. I wanted to be an artist. Um, so I became a lawyer and I did that for 10 years. And there were parts of that role that I, that I loved doing. Like I was a litigation lawyer, so I liked being in court. I, I liked helping people. But there was more that I didn't like, right, which is the bullshit politics. Um, I can go on and on, but that's a whole webinar in itself. Um, but for me, there was that tipping point that I spoke about at, at, at the beginning of today's webinar. It's like that the pain that I felt um, reached this point where it became unbearable, where it was starting to affect my mental health. So I think the answer to this question is if you're in a job that you don't like, if you're working in a toxic environment, if you're not happy with where you are in life, it doesn't have to be that way, but you have to get busy mapping out a transition plan, right? So you have to start thinking, well, what will make me happy? What is my purpose? What is my passion? What will make my heart sing, right? And that is a journey in itself, but um, I think we have to start enjoying the journey. It's not all about, you know, means to an end or, or getting to that final destination. Um, so my advice to, uh, to this person would be, if you're thinking about switching careers, you think you can do a whole lot more, then do it. Um, but just map out that in-between transition period, irrespective of what that looks like for you. So um, for me, for instance, you know, I gave up being a lawyer. I was on a very good income, um, but I couldn't go from that to starting the Open Mind Institute. Um, overnight it just wasn't viable and my wife would have probably castrated me so what I had to do was I had to I had to map out a period where I got another job in a recruitment firm for a year so it was less onerous you know it was um, I was still getting money to pay the bills but uh, behind the scenes I had my little side hustle I was building up the business getting clients and then it came to the point where I could start earning some money from um, from doing what I'm doing now so yeah, that's that's my advice. You got to um, map out your transition period and get busy doing it. Mm. Mm. I think the um, this question of like uh, stability and comfort, yeah, uh, implies that without the career, there is no stability to be had, and it's going to be incredibly uncomfortable. Mm. Right. So there is. Which is not true. You can have absolutely no career and be stable and be comfortable. It might involve living in the mountain and picking berries and picking fruit and learning to live that way in a simple life, maybe. Um, but it would, it would be completely different. Um, so the, way, the reason why I say this is I like to divorce the idea from, of career um, and career progression yeah. uh, from from stability, comfort, fulfillment, love, um, all of those internal things. So it, I, I think because this is submit, this is a question submitted by Waikit, right? So um, I'm going to make an assumption, Waikit, that you're Asian. 
that in an Asian society, um, we are we in a sense that we are educated and we're conditioned to uh, look at a career in a rather romantic way. Um, that a job with a good career progression is uh is much better than you know a one off job, um, or an odd job. Or a, or a three-month contract-based freelancey kind of um, kind of thing. And the fact is that none of those things uh, weigh out to be better than one or the other. Mm. You know, you can, if you are really, really good as a freelancer uh, in what you do, you can make millions and millions of dollars, right? Uh, any, you know, so like uh, Hollywood actors are essentially freelancers, right? Who've managed to run that course really really well um so in terms of like whether you look at it as a transition thing i would say that it's know that it doesn't know that it's not locked in it's not permanent if you want to quit you can quit what are you going to do about it afterwards that's what you have to transition into right so this uh what what was mm, okay if you are aware that this is not uh where you want to end up being mm-hmm. and i'm transitioning to the second part of the question now yeah that's it's an interesting can you read the second part of the question again it's yeah. quite interesting is it possible to maybe learn to be more content and not strive for bigger things or do we have to always keep on growing and climbing to higher ground? Yeah, wow. If you, as so long as you are aware, the fact that you are asking the first part of this question, um, that thought is never going to leave, man. Like, you are always going to be aware that there is something bigger because you've hit the, the threshold, you've hit the wall, right? Mm-hmm. You hit it and you just go, ah, right. And why is that? Because we are naturally born to expand, you know, yeah. as, as human beings, that's our, our calling, right? We grow. Exactly. I believe we lose that somewhere along the lines, right? Like if you remember as children, you know, we're curious. We want to find out more about the world. We want to delve into things. We don't care about danger. But something happens on the journey to becoming an adult where we just want to wrap ourselves up and just stay within a cocoon and, you know, stay safe. Yeah. I think that's where we grow when we're uncomfortable. And everyone knows this. Which, to be fair, I mean, we're told to prioritize safety because the world is unsafe at the moment, right? And, and this is the paradigm that, I've, that I find very troubling, that we're not, uh, we're, we're, we're less likely to be educated to be resilient and strong than we are to stay safe and be smart. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? There is validity in both. There is a balance that is required um, between the two. Mm-hmm. And the fact that like, if Waikit, you are aware that you want to grow, that you want to be trying something different, you kind of had to train yourself. Um, yeah. And I think that goes a little bit to what Paul is, uh, was talking about, where like, you know, if you wanted to, you know, if you want to start your own side business, go small. Go small, let that grow, right? And, and you can start to see your uh, current job as, ah, this is a blessing that I have this, that the stability is a foundation for me to grow the thing that I really love. Yeah. If it's stability without end, it's a dead end, mate. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Excellent point, Ethan. Thank you. I hope we helped you out there, Waikit.
All right. Do we have any more questions or should we start talking about stress? That's, I think that is the end. That is the last one, if I'm not wrong. Yep. Yep. So let me see if I can shift this. Uh, Thanks for okay. everyone for just submitting your questions. Um, I think that was a good idea, Ethan, that you came up with. Thank you. <laughs> um, so I want to, we want to talk about something that everyone deals with, which is stress. And when you think about stress, I mean, I had a bit of a think about this before the webinar. Stress is, I believe anyway, a precursor to that primal emotion of fear, right? So it's, it's a derivative, almost a derivative of fear. So if to define stress, you know, it's, it's the mind and body's formula. Um, it's a way of preparing us for a challenge. So if there's a circumstance in your environment um, that is completely at odds with your expectation up, up here, so if you have an expectation of how a situation ought to be and suddenly that's not how you're perceiving it, um, then the stress response comes into the equation. And, you know, we, we deal with challenges um, in accordance with that stress response. But just as a precursor to, to stress, I just wanted to um, briefly take everyone through what the stress response looks like, because I think we need this mm. as a foundation before we continue the conversation. So if you don't mind, everyone, I'm going to share my screen with you now. Hopefully this works. Yep. Dun, dun, dun. Mm -hmm. um, PowerPoint. Okay. So stress response. So we come across a challenge or an event, again, that is totally unfamiliar to us, okay? And what happens when our senses pick up on that event is that there's a filtering process that goes on internally. Now, some of the people who are in, the, um, in this webinar, some are coaching clients and some are familiar with the subconscious, but there are still many people that don't know that the first seven years of your life you know, your subconscious program was laid, okay? So this is when your brain is doing things for the very first time. It's when you're receiving a lot of information from your uh, parents, your, the people you look up to, and it's the foundations for your belief system, your view of the world, your concept of self-identity. And it's against this backdrop that the filtering occurs when you are uh, encountering a, a significant event. So after this filtering occurs, there's always an end thought or belief. For some people, that's a subliminal thought, right? For people who are perhaps self-aware, um, they're able to catch that thought. So for instance, um, Ethan, give me an example of a significant event that has stressed you out. Uh, moving to a new country by myself. Okay. So, and there would have been other circumstances within that. So. Can you narrow that down, something a little bit more specific? Uh, not speaking the language, okay. and not knowing my way around, uh, knowing that it was a racist country, um, being yep. worried for my safety, understanding that I'm a minority, 
okay. Yeah. So let's say there was a, an event, you know, you move to a new country and there's a, you have an encounter with someone who puts your safety into jeopardy. Huh, right? Yeah. And, and perhaps that person is starting to be very forceful or swearing to you in a language you don't understand. So that's the significant event, right? Then when Ethan perhaps would have gone through this internally, his, his mental um, filtering is just rapidly firing, trying to come up with similar situations that he has come across. Perhaps there were no similar situations. Perhaps there were some images that he saw in a movie. But after that filtering process takes place, there's, there's an end thought or a belief. And that end thought or belief might look something like, holy shit, I'm in trouble, right? Or uh, actually, like specifically, it was where I live is not safe. I live in a bad right. neighborhood. Right. Okay. So once you have that, where I live is not safe, right? My, my, my safety here is in jeopardy. As soon as you have that thought or belief, right, that's when your central nervous system, that's what CNV stands for everyone. That's when your central nervous system is activated. Right. So you've gone through the filtering process. You have that thought of belief. And upon that activation of your central nervous system, you experience this release, this cascade of hormones, of um, of emotion, of, of chemicals pumping through the central nervous system, pumping through your body. Right. So if we're talking about stress, it's cortisol. Right. And uh, and adrenaline it would have been adrenaline in this instance for you, Ethan. Now, what a lot of people don't know. Um, particularly around cortisol, is that it's it's not necessarily a bad thing. Like, yes, we know that it's um, associated with the stress response, but um, cortisol is a is a steroid hormone, and um, it's in a, it has so many important functions. Like, it regulates our metabolism, for instance, um, our immunity. So, when we hear cortisol, it's not that you know it, it's a bad thing. It's a vital part of our uh, of our human of our um, biological infrastructure right but in this instance you know your cortisol would have been combined with adrenaline that would have been pumping through your body that mobilizes you to take some sort of behavior or action right or the way you react so i don't know if this was a specific situation but you might have run in the other direction and then that's how you deal with that significant event so this is more or less how the stress uh response works shops stop sharing my screen now um so that's i just wanted to um just preface that you know when we, if we're going to talk about stress we have to understand what stress is now stress isn't always a bad thing there is actually a good side to stress i shouldn't have stopped sharing my screen because there was one more slide i wanted to show you guys here we go can everyone see that yep yep So this is the good side of stress. It's something we call eustress. So I want everyone to look at the graph there. So the way this works, I'm going to use the example of say, um, you know, you're doing a course or say you're at university and you have an assignment due. Okay. So let's just start at this point in the graph. So you, you have an assignment due um, and it's three weeks away. Okay, so we're in this period here where we're totally not stressed about it at all, right? In fact, if you're anything like me, you put it off to the very last minute, you go through life, you, you know, talk with your friends and you um, watch Netflix or what, what have you. And then 
But what happens is, uh, you know, closer to the assignment date, you might realize, okay, this is three days, three days away now, and you move up towards here. All right. So you stress is what we call optimal performance. So it's that it's a little bit of cortisol, just a little bit of adrenaline, but you're still feeling confident in your performance level, in your ability to get the job done, right? So this is when we can actually use stress to our advantage. And I'll give you another example. Prior to setting up this webinar with Ethan, right, about an hour ago, um, we had to figure out how to do Facebook Live combined <laughs> with Eventbrite. And it was literally 10 minutes away and we we're still working on the back end. Um, but, you know, we were, we got through it, right? And we were... Um, <laughs> in this area of optimal performance, right? Um, we so never got is... close to distress. <laughs> I would say we got very close to distress. <laughs> um, but distress, right, or, or stress or distress occurs, you know, when life perhaps throws you a curveball. You might be really confident in what you are doing and you feel as though you can handle the pressures, the slings and arrows that life is throwing at you. But then all of a sudden, you know, everyone listening to this, we are all human. We all have our capacity. Um, we all have our breaking points. So life might throw you a curveball. You might um, receive a phone call that one of your loved ones has died and you still have a number of pressing things to attend to. Okay, so this is when stress becomes stress and distress. And this is when the cortisol can have an, uh, uh, an adverse devastating effect to us. Okay, um, so this is a good side to to stress the you stress, um, but you know something that we're all familiar with is the stress that we feel. But if we're going to switch the conversation now uh, to stress management, I believe that there are two components to stress management. You know, there there is uh, the reactive and the the proactive. But before I speak about it a little bit more, I'd like to hear hear from anyone who wants to um, chime in as to what do you do to, to manage your stress? We all stress and we all have stress management uh, techniques or exercises. So does anyone want to share this? I will. Yes, Helen, please do. So, after reading um, The Power of Now, it's Power been the observer of your thoughts. And so as soon as something arises, you catch it before it becomes an emotional reaction and you've got a, a space of time to do that. Um, and just, yeah, being aware of that and processing it. I think it's Tara Brack has a good acronym for this um, called RAIN. So recognise that the... The, yep. the trigger, the negative trigger is there. Yeah. And then accept it as, and that's like watching it as well. Yeah. And then investigate it. Where has, why are you thinking this way? Where has it come from? Is there mm -hmm. something in the past that has told you yep. that this is an acceptable and challenge that thought? And then the end part is nurturing, which yep. is like, ah, uh, this is not worth my energy to pursue this you know, go out, do some breathing or yeah. um, go and find something happy to do, dance, listen to music, you know. So yes, you're changing the, the vibrational, the low vibrational thing into a higher vibrational yeah. thing. Yeah. 
love it Helen and yeah so and that takes practice you have to do it all the time and and after a while you just find a lot of the past negative stuff stops coming up all the time exactly exactly right and that's that's what neuroplasticity is in essence, right? Like we all have this stress response from that cycle that I showed you guys. When that becomes repeated and repeated, we become conditioned and that's our, our stress response. That's how we deal with adversity. But what Helen was saying, I can identify with, um, and thanks for sharing that, Helen. You know, it's if you're building up your self-awareness, right, through mindfulness or meditation, you're able to actually catch that, that elusive thought that I spoke about in that cycle and you can start implementing a renewed response right whatever that might look like for you like you know some people like like to dance some people like to meditate um you know people like to talk to others to to really debrief and circumvent that stress but the more you do that new empowered response you're actually building up new neurological pathways Mm -hmm. um, and you're reconditioning the conditioned self and then you're moving away from having a stress reaction to mm. moving towards having a stress response. Yep. And I think like that is the key difference because the as we move as we move through the process of like engendering these better habits, mm. then what starts to happen quite naturally is that we get better at doing the thing that is not as harmful. Yes. Yeah. We start to become it starts to become second nature to access that bit of your brain that goes like, whoa, something is coming. I'm gonna chill out for a bit. And then go handle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think it's uh, worth mentioning a little bit, Paul, that like in terms of in terms of managing uh, uh, the stress response, is yes. that how we conditioned ourselves in the past to handle stressful situations is mm. how we will handle them all the time, every single time they come up, until we decide to change the way we do them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that is a key, that is very important to, to uh, highlight because it takes into account that we get addicted mm. to our own chemical responses. Yeah, we do. We do. Yeah. Exactly right. Adrenaline's a good hit. That's what we always call it. Adrenaline rush. Oh, the adrenaline rush is great. Um, and it is. It is. But it cannot be the baseline from which your body has to deal with everything. Yes. No, exactly right. Exactly right. So that's why we talk of um, proactive stress management, mm. right? Which, which is uh, raising that level of self-awareness that, that Helen was referring to. So you're able to catch your body before it heads down that adrenaline rush, right? Yes. And this is, this is no um, overnight quick pill, right? This is prolonged practice. This is getting up in the morning and doing your meditation every oh. single day. There's now an abundance of research, right? Unequivocal research that tells us when you're practicing mindfulness, when you're practicing meditation, you're strengthening your prefrontal cortex, right? So this is the epicenter, most evolved part of your brain for decision-making, concentration, attention control, and the regulation, right? The regulation. Regulation of emotion. Yeah, yeah, of your behavior. So that's when I talk about proactive stress management, um, it's essential that you, uh, you know, I put it up there. It's, it's, it's just as essential as exercising and eating healthy. It's feeding your, your body, right? Mental nutrition, if you want to think of it that way. And it's going to enable you to become 
self-aware in the moment so that you can then implement some new behaviors. Yeah, because it's a, it's how I talk about it to my um, coaching clients is that you, if you want to understand things in the form of energy, frequency, and vibration, yeah. then I would, I would equate frequency to thought and intention. Correct. Uh, energy is your emotion, right? And vibration is behavior. It's everything from making sound to uh, the width, to the shape in which your body is in. Um, all those things and the vibration, right? Yeah. So that's always youngsters. We always like to say vibing, right? So the vibe is off, right? So anytime that we have uh, a thought, okay, and if that thought is, uh, you know, you're crossing the street, um, a car almost hits you, right? And you just, and even if you don't say anything, right? But you're just, just thinking of like, oh God, right? You bastard. That frequency that gets mm -hmm. thrown out, right? Generates an emotion and the emotion of bitterness, of resentment, of uh, fear, of, you know, whatever, right? And immediately that translates itself into a behavior, into a vibration that goes like, Yes. Now here's the tricky part. Thought we can stop. Right? We can we can freeze it there and go, okay, that's enough. Right? No, so people go further and they're like, well, fuck you, and they start flipping the guy off. And then they start, you know, get into a road rage and you start you start bashing up the guy. Why? Right? Because then you're just then you're just releasing all those hormones in from your brain, from mm -hmm. your adrenal glands, everything into your body again. Mm -hmm. And it still doesn't stop there. Because yeah. then they, they finish, right? The guy's concussed, right? Your 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 arm hurts. You're walking back home, right? You get back home, right? Heart is pumping. There's a lot of palpitation and everything, right? You sit down in front of a dinner table, and at a dinner table, I mean, oh, do you know what just happened to me? God, this bastard! Ah, you know, and then it starts again. And then yeah, it's it's a ripple effect. And the <laughs> irony is, even people live with this for decades, yeah, right? Dude. People live with this for decades. Right? You might have, I don't know, a bad breakup or you might have a, a terrible conversation with someone you report into at work and they, they, that thought impedes, you know, week on week and they relive that emotion over and over and over again. Yes. Um, and I think where people are really struggling in life is they identify with their thoughts. They're, you know, it's wrapped up in their subconscious, in their concept of self-identity, right? But I'm an advocate that we are not our thoughts. Right. We are the awareness behind our thoughts. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're working toward your higher self, whatever that might look like for you, there's there's a divergence right, between your conditioned response. Right. Because we're not the same person. This is the whole. And I guess we can go down a, a, a rabbit hole here with self-identity. Right. Yeah. Um, you're not the same person you were five years ago. You're not the same person you were yesterday. Right, we, we're talking vibrancy. Everything is continuously changing on a molecular, cellular level, right? But you can choose who you want to be in the in the present moment, right? So if you're flying off the handle from the example that you gave, right, that's your conditioned response. But if you're doing this proactive man stress management, we're talking about, you're right. Like, okay, you stop in that moment, take a breath, right? That's how I would have acted, right? But what what would happen if I change that narrative now and I just smile, you know, and that'll probably piss off the other person a lot more, but, <laughs> but all of, but all of a sudden you're not hanging on to that baggage, right? That emotional turmoil, right? And this is, this is the, well, 
to be honest, guys, this is why I love doing what I do, being a coach, right? Because um, I'm training people to be their, their higher self, right? To let go of that emotional bullshit. You don't need it. And you can choose your higher self and you can activate that in any given moment. I think I heard uh, one of my friends was asking me the other day, it's just like, if you, I, I explained this uh, principle to him. And then he was like, isn't that brainwashing? And I was like, yes. It's supposed to be. You're literally washing out all of the shit that, uh, is, that is in your brain that causes you to behave in ways that make you unhappy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, and I, I throw another, another metaphor here. Just, uh, we, in China, we have a Chinese saying that goes like, a rich man always knows how to be rich and a poor man always knows how to be poor. You know, I don't know if you've heard that. But like, um, so the way that it was, and it was told to me when I was a kid, like, if, um, if a rich man, for some reason, doesn't have change to get on the bus, for example, right? Um, same as like, a, a poor man doesn't have enough change to get on the bus. The poor man goes around and is on the street corner and just asks people coming by, like, hey, you got some change? 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 Right? The difference is that the poor man reaches out and says, can I have some change? First person says no. He then spends the next 20 seconds going, it never, never, never happens, right? This never happens. Okay, well, so in, in that time, in that 20 seconds, 30 seconds, four people, five people go past it, right? And then, okay, six person, all right, let's go. Do you have some change? No. Oh, okay, man. And, you know, and then that's another 20 seconds, another one minute, right? The rich man just goes, do you have some change? No. Okay, move on. Do you have that? No? Okay. And then he gets it on the third guy. Yeah. Right? Now, the poor man looks at this and goes, look at how unfair that society is, you know, and then starts again, like reinforcing the lack in which they live. Yeah, it's that reinforcement, you're right. Yeah, and that's the tough part because then, you know, when they, when eventually it manifests itself in things of like, you know, oh, I, 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 don't, uh, I don't feel uh, strong enough. I don't feel like I have the courage to take this shot. I don't feel like, you know, I want to go for that job. I don't feel like I'm good enough to, to uh i don't know i don't feel i'm good enough to teach people uh how to do yoga i don't feel like i'm good enough to teach people guitar you're right, you're right. yeah you're right man we live in a society where if you want to find something to piss you off you can google it and get it yeah you're right, right. if you want to go and look for a reason why you're not good enough you can find one because you, mm. you can literally find somebody who lives across the world from you who is way better in the thing that you want to do than you ever will be and use you can use that knowledge to beat yourself into the hole and yeah. say like yeah you know what i've never got hit that level Wait, what? <laughs> i can't sit there and going like it's fine yeah. it's fine i know what is going that is definitely true all right i know that if you're never going to hit that level that's not that's not you know 100 percent true what i do know is true that if you take that knowledge and you dig yourself to that hole mm. you're never going to be better than you are today yeah Correct. And it all, it all reverts back to that thought, right? That thought that you have. Um, yeah. So do you have any tips on how to change that thought in the moment? <laughs> uh, yes. <laughs> if you want to, if you want something, right? If you want to be good at something or you want to get something, 
whatever. Mm. Imagine, just close your eyes and just imagine yourself having it already. Mm. You know, whether it's a dream job, whether it's, you know, change for the bus, whatever, right? Just imagine what it is to have that, to indulge in that, what you're going to do with that, your life from that point onwards that you get the thing that you want, okay? And then you're going to wake up and this is the crucial point, yeah? When you open your eyes again and you look around, right? And you see that you don't have it, I want you to say in your mind to yourself, yet. Mm, yeah, that's right. It's all the, it's the language, yet. right? It's the language we use. Yeah, because you have to understand, it is inevitable, mm. right? Everything that yeah. you imagine, it's inevitable. It will find its way there it and it will take it time. Yeah. But yeah. you got to give it that time. Yeah, you're right. You're right. So I think some of the key takeaways here is you've got to build up your self-awareness Right. And when you're having that thought, which will allow you to catch that thought, and it's as simple as tweaking a, a little word, you know, from from, you know, why can't I do this to how changing why from how, yeah. how can I do this? Right. Engaging, engaging that curiosity. Um, yeah. So what about some some reactive like we're talking about proactive? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what about because, you know, even myself as a coach. Um, it's happening less and less, but there are times I can't think of any example, but I'm sure But th there are times when um, I don't catch that thought and I am stressed. Right. So um, I know we've spoken about this one or two little exercises that we can do reactively. So once we are stressed, once we know our heart is beating fast, mm -hmm. right, to calm ourselves down. Um, there's a, there's a few things we can we can use. Um, do you want to go through yours first, or do you want? I I rather rather hear from you because I I must say like ever yeah. since when I stopped when I stopped our coaching sessions like formally right that's when I started seeing you get stress. I really? never saw you stress during a coaching session at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now it's like oh my god I'm tired I'm working on this so how actually how do you do that? Yeah, well, I'll, I'll share a technique that uh, you and, and Helen and some of the others are familiar with, but um, perhaps some of our other viewers aren't. It's called the, uh, the box method breathing technique. Mm. And I'm a huge advocate of this. Um, and for those of you who, who have never heard about it, it's, it's a breathing technique that has been found by science to reduce your heart rate, right? because it's reducing um, also oxygen to the brain, but it puts you in an REM-like state. And when you come out of it, you're feeling really, really focused and sharp. Um, and it's so powerful that they teach it to the Navy SEALs, uh, in particular, the, the sniper division of the Navy SEALs. And you can imagine the stress that these guys are under in the front line of fire. Um, and the way it works is really simple. And I reckon we do a few rotations now, Ethan. What do you think? Do it. All right. So guys, I want to share my screen with you. Um, I want everyone to start breathing in and out through your nose. We're going to do about three or four rotations of this so you can experience it for yourself. Everyone just start breathing in and out through your nose. And I'll put it up on the screen here. I'll put it on very shortly, this little um, GIF that will start playing. But for now, start breathing in and out through your nose. And the way this is going to work is after exhaling as much oxygen as possible out of your lungs, 
right? So we're inhaling and then we're exhaling. Um, at that point, we'll start the box method breathing technique by holding our breath for four seconds, right? And you can imagine drawing a side of the box, for instance. So we're holding our breath for four seconds. Then we inhale for four seconds, drawing the top of the box. And the di diagram I'm going to put up will explain all this. And then you hold your breath again, right? Drawing the side of the box. Um, I'll just put it up now. It'll explain a lot clearer. And you do this for three or four rotations and you can feel the calmness yourself, right? So just try and get in sync with this, everyone. So everyone breathe out now. And now hold your breath for four seconds as we start. So counting. All right, big breath in. Hold. Breathe out. Holding. Breathe in. We'll do two more rotations. One more. In. That's the box method breathing technique. I, I prefer to um, do it with my eyes closed and I, I draw an imaginary dot. And then you um, simply, you know, you're holding your breath. It's very simple to remember. So you hold your breath for four seconds, inhale for four seconds, hold your breath, and then, you know, you complete the box. And um, you do that. Like I used to do it, um, I've known about it for, for many, many years before I had a stressful meeting, right, as, as a lawyer or if I'm about to walk into court um, or having a confrontation with someone. So that's a really neat little reactive tool you can use to lower your heart rate um, and just put you in a very calm, focused state of mind. What about your exercise, Ethan? That's sick, dude. That, that actually helps me sleep. Like box <laughs> method breathing is really, really powerful to help me sleep. Yeah. Um, for me, I would do, what I would, what I would do is I, like, I want to uh, introduce a tool for shifting your attention. Okay. So what often happens when we get stressed is that mm -hmm. we focus all of our attention on the cause of said stress. Yes. Yeah. So whether it's your boss or whether it's, you know, your spouse or your kid or your work that you have to do, we start to, we start the tunnel vision, right? Mm -hmm. And we start to only look at the thing and go, how am I going to deal with that? Mm -hmm. So what I found really, really helpful is just to consciously move your attention to something else. Um, and now when we do that, what we're doing is we're breaking the cycle for stress to reinforce itself. What you were talking about with the U stress bell curve, right, then gets sort of cut there, mm -hmm. right? So it doesn't get the chance to fall into distress. Mm. Now, what we then want to do is we want to uh, simultaneously improve our ability to put our attention where we want to put it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So on one hand is to not be tunneled. The hand is want to increase the amount of conscious control that we have over our attention. 
And so when you're feeling stressed, or even you can just try this now. Yeah. Right. It's just take a look at your hand. Just have your hand up in front of you. And just take a really, really long, detailed look at your hand. Would you recommend, Ethan, as we're doing this, that you're also breathing calmly? Does that matter? Doesn't or we matter. Just, our sole attention is on the hand. Put all of your attention onto your hand. And from here, I'd like you to just start noticing all of the details that you can in your hand. Every small little line. You might even be able to see blood pumping as you're doing this. Okay, now consciously shift your attention to anything else. In the room, so an object or anything else. Or you could close your eyes and bring your attention just to a sound, like I just got tinnitus. So I'm going to listen to that. I'm looking at a lamp. Yeah, take this time to see how much detail you can pull out of this thing. Yeah. And again, this is, we're usually filtering out all the nuances, like the shadows, the texture, the reflection I'm seeing in myself, because our brain classifies it as just a lamp, but it's vibrating. You know, there's so much you can delve into. Now notice that your breath has gone calmer. It has. <laughs> right. It has. So this is very akin to like when, you know, when we're kids, we're kind of like, we see a bug. Mm. You ever do this? Or you saw like, you saw, you saw like see a bug uh, out in your yard or something like that. It's just like, for a while, it's like the most fascinating thing in the world. Yeah. <laughs> you know, or it's, it's just incredibly infatuated with something. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, and you could stare at it for hours if you wanted. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Because I think as we get older, as adults, we become desensitized to our environment. Our brain has identified what certain things are, and we don't delve into it like we did as kids. Yeah, we're yeah. blocking it out. And this is the brain's, you know, way of, you know, freeing up space. Um, but it's a very good, it's a very good stress management technique to. Um, you know, just delve into an object, you know, and that's, it's a, it's a meditation technique too, isn't it? Object yeah. meditation. Yeah. 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 And the best part is like, the more that you do this, right. Mm. Um, the more that you tell your brain, like, Hey, we're going to focus on what I want to focus on. Right. Yeah, exactly. The You're in room, control. Yeah. Mm. The more room that it has to indirectly affect things like your breathing apparatus, which would, you know, otherwise get quite like, you know, heightened, mm. which is why I, I said like, don't like, don't, Focus on calming your breath down. Just yeah. focus on the thing itself and your breath will naturally yeah. calm itself down. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Complete attention. Yeah. Because we all we all have a fixed attention capacity. There's only so many bits of information our mind um, can process in any given moment. 
Um, but I think in this information age, our mind is fragmented. Yeah, we're thinking about a million and one bloody things. And <laughs> as a consequence, when you're trying to do a task at hand, your full productivity and capability is not there. Yep. You know, so what, what do you think the future of stress management looks like? Oh no, I don't. I don't see the future, uh, which is not true. I, I kind of do. Um, I think the the kind of future that I want to make um, in regards to stress management yeah. is letting is really letting people know, like, hey, there is a technical, practical system for well being. It is grounded in your anatomy. Yes. It's grounded in evidence based study. Mm-hmm. It doesn't require you to go live in a mountain, even though that would be much easier, <laughs> right? But it is, uh, it is possible to learn the skills and techniques that are required, um, yeah. to manage your mental and physical faculties. Correct, correct. Yeah, I can tell you through the research we've been doing at the Open Mind Institute that. There will be an amalgamation of the ancient techniques that we know works, right? And I think there's a great sense of irony that you've had these ancient meditation techniques like um, the Pasana, you know, around since since Buddha 2,500 years ago, and you've had people, ancient civilizations meditating. And I think particularly in the West for a long time, it was dismissed as being irrelevant, have, have you know nothing to do with mental well-being and it's only really become popularized this is i believe how far behind the west is from eastern traditions um once we have the tangible evidence right once there have been reports and studies and people put through functional magnetic resonance imaging machines that the west has started to catch up and say hey well meditation really does work you know um so that everyone's now jumping on the bandwagon so to speak so when I think of the future of stress management, I think it will incorporate these ancient techniques, but with the benefits, and I say this with some reservation because I am very um, concerned about artificial intelligence and where we're going. You know, computers and algorithms start thinking for themselves. Um, you know, it's, it's scary for a lot of people, particularly what, um, what's his name? John Connor. Uh, <laughs> Elon Musk is doing right in planting bloody chips into people's heads. Um, but when I'm speaking of technology, guys, I'm referring to something called transformative technology, which is technology that is solely created for the purpose of advancing um, human well-being and, and mankind. So, uh, for instance, where I work here in Brisbane, I work out of a co-working space. There's a lot of entrepreneurs and um, you know people who are starting up these new businesses. And there's, a, there's a, a team there, some of them, I think their headquarters may be based in London, but they've created a meditation device that clips onto you. So this is an example of transformative technology, yeah? Clips onto your ear. I don't know how it works, um, but it stimulates your vagus nerve, mm. right, when you're, when you're meditating. And it just takes you to this higher state of consciousness that you'd otherwise achieve doing three or four years of Zen based meditation. Right. So, and there's, you know, there's simple, like there's biofeedback devices that a lot of people have on their, on their 
watches that can monitor your heart rate. So when I think the future of, of stress management, I see it in company, uh, encompassing the ancient with transformative technology, which will enable you to, um, I was going to say accelerate, but I don't think that's the right term. Um, but I think it make it more accessible to people. You know, a lot of people struggle with meditation, for instance, and we know there's meditation apps that are now helping a lot of people, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so for instance, I did a, I created a, an open mind meditation program, which is a, which is a course. And I take people through a number of different evidence-based techniques. And um, so that's helping a lot of people. And that also led us to the program um, that you were instrumental in designing. I'd love to tell us a little bit more about that, mate. Make time. Yeah. Um, so on the back of what you were talking about, the future of stress management, I think that like that's the that's kind of the reason why Make Time exists as a, as a program. Um, yeah. Make Time is a 21-day meditation training program um, where we've basically taken uh, the core fundamental techniques uh, present in um, meditation practices around the world um, yeah. and brought them down into like a core, a core system um, that is completely secular and very, very practical uh, to be taught to, you know, your 21st century human beings. Because as much as I am interested in transformative technology, um, I do feel that there is an element of it. Uh, it's, being, it's, a, it's a bit of being a hack. You know, so it has to, it's about hacking your brain. Mm. Now, you can do this, you know, as much as you want. Um, yeah. But I, if, if, the, if the base natural fa- uh, faculties yes. are not brought up to speed, then yeah. we become, we run the risk of being as easily overpowered by them in the same way that people become overpowered by alcohol. Agreed. You've got to have that foundation there. Yes. Yeah. And so uh, what the training program is designed to do is to give you a system, right? From which you can say, all right, uh, you know, I'm an, I'm an artist today. I know I have uh, anger management issues. Uh, I know that I respond better to uh, physical sensations in my body. Um, as a result, I am going to do a focused meditation on the body, right? And I will reap the benefits of that, right? So all of that will make sense when you go through the program. Because right? yes. you start to you start to understand um, that there is a process. Um, it's a process that might be, I don't know, might be skipped over by too much hacking. Um, but the biggest thing that comes out of meditation, any kind of meditation practice, is understanding how you work, understanding how you exist, and that thing does not come immediately. It's not a it's not a chemi- It's not a chemical thing that you can like hack and like ah. Oh, I get it now. Yeah, it's not something that something else can do for you. Yeah. So those two things need to meet. Um, we'll be launching this program in December, right? We're still because we still got one more test group. Yeah. To go through. Yeah. yeah. Um, man, I'd, I'd love it if you shared with the group because I know you've done a few test groups with people yeah. in Japan because some of the results have been uh, phenomenal and and um, but before you. Before you go down that path, though, I just want to let everyone know that, um, you know, Ethan 
has been one of my, I guess, star coaching pupils, if you like, because oh. your your meditation experiences, I mean, you know, you've you've surpassed me, man, in a short space of time. Like you're activating your pineal gland. And ultimately, this is the experience that we want to give people, right? Is to transcend your your conditioned self and access this higher realm of consciousness, which which is accessible. So I don't. I mean, you you had some profound experiences, um, yeah, in your meditation. Still do actually. Um, I think that's. But I think that's another topic, though. Okay. I think that's really, really another topic. Uh. Because I, I was talking to a friend of mine who was just saying, like, you know, I, I was sharing with her my, my very sort of, like, all my transcendental experiences and, and da-da-da, you know. And uh, we had gone to the topic of when do you just be, right? And I think that where I really don't want to go is... Um, to be to overwhelm people with the sort of uh spectacle of it right um, yeah, yeah, um, okay. that at some point like yeah you can have transcendental experiences all day long you can have them seven days a week if you're strong enough but at the end of the day is yeah. there's there's a lot of value to be found a lot of invisible value to be found in just the ability to sit yes and like no expectations just sit yeah and feel something just be there yeah, um, present. because the the thing that I found right is that that rush of um of development, right, like that peaks at some point. It peaks and it plateaus, and that's it. And it just sort of like then feels like ah oh, man, like I was having so much like moments of acceptance and you know like self development. What happened? Ah, oh, this sucks. Meditation don't work anymore. Yeah. No, no, there's never. It was never supposed to be that, right? Yeah. Now it's just. He's gone to a real place of just like maintenance for me. Yeah, um, that's good. That's good. Right. And you and can I think, do it as well, right? Like every day. Yeah, it's it's important to remember that there's no such thing as as a bad meditation, right? If you're rocking up every day, um, you know, yeah. that's that's you taking control. Even ten minutes. Yeah. 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 Like, I think if we keep because if we're just chasing, if you're just chasing the 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 TM, if you're just trans tr chasing the trip, right? You're chasing the transcendental. You're chasing that like, oh, I want this huge emotional release, man. Your body, right? At some point, has nothing else to release anymore. It has no, it has no released, no no tension that it needs to let go of from twenty years ago, and that's a good thing. That's exactly right. Sometimes you have to uh, just enjoy the journey, right? Yeah. At that point, it's just like ten minutes a day sit yeah. down and enjoy the fact that you've got nothing to release you've got no emotional trauma left it's not coming up you're not like pulling it out from your sacral center you don't have to deal with that you can just enjoy the fact there's nothing there yeah. there's nothing more beautiful exactly right exactly right um and the beautiful thing is you're you're actually you're reaching a state where um you're strengthening that prefrontal cortex right you don't have to have the that transcendental moment to um to be strengthening this vital part of the brain. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've and you've already let go of all of the stuff that was holding you back in the first place. Um, you know, your your adre your adrenal glands are firing off in like a regular, you know, human pattern. Um, yep. you're able to return to homeostasis. Now mm. you can choose what you need. 
Now yes. you can choose what you want to invest your time and your energy in. Mm. You know? And the fact is, if you're going to exchange all of that value for 10 minutes of your time yeah. in a day, yeah. worth, bro. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> worth. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. So, yep. where to from here, Ethan? Well, um, I'm happy to end it off uh, here because I need to go and have my dinner. I am two hours behind you guys. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> we, are, we are coming to two hours. Um, yes. So, look, Ethan and I would just like to really extend our appreciation for everyone um, for attending. Uh, as Ethan mentioned, we are doing a new test group of this program that we've designed. Um, so it will eventually be, you know, out there to the masses. And we, we have plans of, um, you know, extending it to universities because we think students will benefit from it greatly. Mm -hmm. um, we've already had a few test groups, but we are looking for a few more guinea pigs. If anyone uh, tuning in would like to get involved, um, we ask that you perhaps Um, and Ethan, any last words you would like to say? I lost all my sound in the past two minutes. <laughs> you lost so, your sound. I lost all my sound, and I was right. like, I was half, I was half trying to lip read because my Bluetooth earphones. Uh, You're trying to lip read. I was, I was yeah. telling everyone about, you know, prior to your session, we have, is it two coaching sessions yes. to get them ready for it and to make sure it's right for them because it is a commitment. Yeah. Right. So it's 21 days. Um. So I was just saying, what's the best way for us to get people to um potentially sign up i was just telling people mm. to put their names or a thumbs up or just say yes please in the chat and then we'll contact you yeah yeah i think that's the best way uh we will yeah. we will of course then like drop you an email uh both myself and yeah. paul uh we cc the same email to run through the details of the program and when you would like to uh undergo it yeah. um so he will start you off uh with coaching sessions i, I if you if you pick him and you know likewise uh, for myself then we do 21 days um of five contact hours 
per week. So that's one about, about one hour per day. Mm-hmm. Um, it is uh, about 40 minutes lecture, and then there is about 20 minutes of uh, guided meditation. Yeah. Right. Um, and then at the end of each week, uh, on the Friday, on the fifth, on the fifth day, right, uh, it's your independent practice time. So mm-hmm. there will be an assignment that's given um, in terms of like, we'll have some coaching tools that will throw your way as well, but it's so that you can use this, uh, this system um, of meditation to really sort of like craft something for yourself. Uh, and then this carries on like that for the next uh, two weeks after that, so total three weeks. And then after that, we have a follow-up session. We have a follow-up coaching session. Um, just to get rid of uh, any blocks that you might have um, still or any worries that you might have. Uh, and then you can really start to like take that on as your own practice yeah. every single day. Yeah. I mean, after Definitely. 21 days, it becomes quite ingrained, uh, ingrained, I yeah. think. Yeah, right. yeah, spot on. Ethan, I just note there's only a few of us on the Eventbrite platform, but there's a whole lot of people on Facebook Live. So how do you, how do you want to... Uh, capture their interests uh it's the same like just drop a thumbs up uh like the stream um let us know that you're interested and then uh paul and i will be in touch with you brilliant cool yeah even after because this this uh whole recording will still be live so uh i mean it will still be uh on the facebook page so if you know at a later date you happen to watch this uh just drop a comment uh, send a, a message either into the Open Mind Institute or uh, Five to Midnight International, yeah. um, and then we'll be happy to be to be in touch with you and to make this happen. Lovely. All right, everyone. Thank you very much for tuning in from around the world. Have a lovely, lovely evening. And that's it from myself and my friend Ethan. Thank Bye. you so much, guys. It's amazing. Thank you. Thank, Thank you so much. much. Thank you, Helen. Thanks, everyone. Cheers, guys. Oh, did you want me to stay on, Paul? Yeah, yep. Yeah. Stay on and we'll, we'll have a chat, Helen. Sure. Yeah. Do you want me to stay on, guys? Cheers, guys. Thank you. Thanks, Ethan. Speak Thanks, Ethan. Yeah. Ciao. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.